Well, good morning. I greet you this day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's good to see everybody that's gathered on site, along with those who've joined us online. Exciting times in the life of our church. Yesterday, we began our Habitat for Humanity build. Some of you were there. They put together all the walls. This next Saturday is going to be old-fashioned barn raising. They're going to put all the walls and have the framework together. We've got a handful of positions still left open. So if you're interested and kept saying, I want to sign up, and you never quite did, Lynette, wave your hand for just a moment. Lynette's right here. See her after the service. We'll get you signed up. It's going to be a great Saturday. Today we are culminating our January worship series entitled Route 66, and we are inviting the entire congregation to read the New Testament together in 2022. The reading plan begins tomorrow, Monday, January 31st, and if you haven't picked up your plan yet, they are in the lobby in a brochure. You can go on the church website, or if you're getting our daily devotions, they will come to you by email with about a 50-word introduction Uh, Monday through Saturday for each chapter that we're reading. Very excited about this. And last week and this week, we're setting the context for the reading plan. Last week was the Old Testament in 20 minutes. Today, we're looking at the New Testament in 20 minutes. And as I said last week, I have not started yet. I'll let you know when to start your clocks. As we look at the New Testament, it contains 27 books from Matthew through Revelation, and you can divide all of those books into four major sections. First of all, there are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel means good news, and the Gospels weren't written as biographies. They are evangelical tools to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, focusing on the crucifixion and on the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as, you're about to learn the word, the synoptic gospels. S-Y-N, like synonym, means same. Optic means eye. They see the story of Jesus from the same perspective. Most scholars believe that Mark was written first, and then Matthew and Luke base their gospels on Mark with additional material. John, on the other hand, is very different from the other three, and he writes from a perspective of Greek philosophy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the next section is but a single book, the Acts of the Apostles, oftentimes known as Acts, and it tells the story of the growth of the early church. Some may not realize that the same author wrote both Luke and Acts. It's a two-volume set telling the story of Jesus and then of the early church. The opening chapters of Acts focus upon the church in Jerusalem and the original apostles, especially Simon Peter. But the later chapters focus more on the apostle Paul and his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean basin. The third major section is known as the epistles. Epistles is just a Greek word for letters. And they are letters that church leaders wrote to churches they had founded or had influence upon to help them with the troubles and struggles they were facing. Most of the letters were written by Paul, some of them by other authors, and some of them contain high, lofty theology, and others very down-to-earth, practical advice. Then the final section of the New Testament is, again, a single book, the Revelation of John, or sometimes shortened to just Revelation. And you can divide it into two parts. The first three chapters 
are seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor from Jesus the Christ. Revelation 4 is John's fantastic vision of the final days. As we are reading the New Testament this year, and as you study it in general, it is helpful to do a little memorization work to get the order of the books in sequence. And I'm going to give you a few mnemonics for that very quickly. First of all, most of us know the first four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then remember, the next book is the story of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. Then it's followed by Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. If you get 1st Corinthians, seconds are given. Then memorize this phrase, God's Electric Power Company. God's Electric Power Company stands for God's is Galatians, Electric is Ephesians, Power is Philippians, and Company is Colossians. And then all of the T's in the New Testament are together. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus isn't God good. And the last book is Revelation. And all the rest of them, and you're just going to have to memorize it. <laughs> but what we've heard from our scripture lesson throughout the series in 2 Timothy is that all scripture is God-breathed. And that you don't read the Bible like you do any other book. When you open the pages of scripture, you enter into a conversation with God. And so today, we hear the New Testament in 20 minutes, and you can start your watches now. Where would you begin the story of Jesus the Christ? Mark began with the story of John the Baptist's public ministry. Matthew and Luke decided to go 30 years earlier and tell the story of Jesus' birth. John decided to begin with the beginning. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then later in the chapter, it goes on to say, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son sent from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God spoke, and God's Word became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew and Luke alone tell us the story of Jesus' birth, and both of them chose to include genealogies. Now, maybe you're into your own family history, but let's face it, the only people interested in genealogies are genealogists. But there is a fascinating theological point. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. He wanted to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, sent to save the Jews. And so he traced Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, the father and mother of the Jews. Luke, on the other hand, was writing to a much broader audience, to a non-Jewish or a Gentile world, and he wanted to show how God had sent his son to save everyone. So he traces Jesus' tree all the way back to Adam and Eve. Combined, Matthew and Luke tell us the story of the first Christmas, that the angel Gabriel came to a young peasant maiden named Mary, and told her she was going to conceive and give birth to God's son. Mary was perplexed and frightened, but submitted herself to God's will. 
and said, I am the Lord's handmaiden. May it be to me as you have said. It took another heavenly vision to bring her fiancé, Joseph, around. And the Holy Family traveled to Bethlehem because of a Roman census. And while they were there, it came time for Mary to give birth. And she delivered her firstborn a son, laid him in a manger, and gave him the name Jesus, which means God saves. An angelic chorus appeared to shepherds out in the fields, declaring what God had done, and they rushed to see. And later still, there were some wise men who traveled from the east to worship the king of the Jews. But the darkness of this world opposed the light of heaven, and King Herod, fearing a rival to his throne, ordered that all male children two years and younger be murdered. Warned in a dream, Joseph took the family to Egypt where they dwelt for a while under God's care and protection. And 12 years passed before we next hear about Jesus when we discover the family has traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And after they start to go back home, Mary and Joseph realize they can't find their son. And they look for three days and three nights and finally find him in the temple talking with the religious leaders. It was a harbinger of things to come. And another 18 years passed. And Mark tells us the story of John the Baptist, who appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. An Old Testament prophet proclaiming a New Testament coming that the Messiah was at hand. And one day, Jesus appeared on the banks of the Jordan and received John's baptism. And then led by the Spirit, went out in the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that time, the devil came to him and tempted him three times. And each time, Jesus responded by quoting Scripture. And the devil left him until a more opportune time. And Jesus emerged from the wilderness and began his three years of public ministry proclaiming that the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. Out of the hundreds and thousands that came to hear him, he chose 12 men to form an inner circle that he called apostles. And he taught the crowds, primarily through the use of stories or parables, pithy earthly tales that held a heavenly meaning. The parable of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the 99 and one sheep, the lost coin. He also healed the sick, exercised the demon-possessed, and performed miracles. He transformed water into wine. He calmed the storm. He walked on the water. He fed the 5,000. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And according to John's gospel... It was that last event that was the final straw for the religious leaders. And they began to plot his death. On what we now call Palm Sunday, Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey like a conquering king come to the city of David. And the people greeted him. They took off their cloaks and threw them on the path. They stripped the trees of their branches and waved them and began to shout, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And his disciples thought the kingdom of God was about to come on earth. And none of them understood that that triumphant parade would quickly become a death march. On Thursday night, Jesus gathered with his disciples for what turned out to be their last supper. In the midst of the Passover meal, he took ordinary elements of bread and of wine and infused them with new meaning. He took the bread, gave thanks to God, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body that's given for you. And he took that cup of crimson wine and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. And then the Son of God knelt like a common servant and washed his disciples' feet and told them, as I have served and loved you, you are called to serve and love one another. After dinner, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus spent time in prayer. And one of his friends, one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, betrayed his master with a kiss. And the mob dragged him before the Jewish high council known as the Sanhedrin. And there they asked what he had said and what he had done. And they mocked him and they beat him. And when the dawn came, they carried him to Pontius Pilate who was the Roman governor of the region, and they asked him to sentence Jesus to death. And it's clear from the record, Pilate found Jesus at most a curiosity. He found him guilty of no crime, but he feared the crowd and wanted to keep the peace. And so he sentenced Jesus to death. And the Roman soldiers took him, and they beat him, and they insulted him, and they scourged him, and they forced a crown of thorns upon his head. And then they attached a crossbeam to his shoulders and led him outside the city gates to a place called Golgotha, in Latin, Calvary. That means the place of the skull. And there they crucified him. At midday, the sky began to darken as the entire creation veiled its sight from the suffering of the Son of God. And as the afternoon wore on, Jesus cried out several different times, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Of Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it is finished. Jesus breathed his last. And as the night came closer, a Roman soldier plunged a spear into his side to ensure that he was dead. And they lowered the corpse to the ground. And some friends dared to gather the body and carry it to a nearby tomb that had been freshly hewn out of a cave. And there they placed Jesus' body and rolled a large stone in front of it. And Pilate ordered a Roman guard around the grave. And Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, dead, buried. On the third day, the first day of the new week, first day of a new creation, 
Some women walked through the pre-dawn darkness with spices to anoint Jesus' body. And when they arrived, they discovered the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And there were angelic figures who asked them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just as he said, Go and tell. And the women rushed back into town to tell what they had seen. And later, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and to Simon Peter and to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that night in the upper room to most of the disciples gathered the next week to Thomas and over the next 40 days to hundreds of the disciples in various times and places. And on that 40th day outside of Jerusalem, he told his disciples, go into Jerusalem and wait Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which will lead you to declare the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascended back into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And so the disciples in obedience went to the upper room and waited for 10 days in prayer and in worship. And Pentecost dawned. And the room was filled with a rushing like a mighty wind. And tongues that looked like fire came down and rested upon each apostle's head. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they burst out of that room into the streets to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And Simon Peter preached a sermon that day that brought 3,000 believers into the church. And they gathered together and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the Holy Spirit did wonders and signs among them, and they added to their number daily. Of course, where two or more gather, politics soon arise. And it wasn't long before the new church was squabbling with one another. There was a group of Hebrew Jews, there was a group of Greek Jews, and each thought their widows were not being treated fairly. And the apostle said, we don't have time for this nonsense. So we'll appoint seven righteous men, we'll call them deacons, who will oversee the work of the church. And chief among them was a man named Stephen. Well, from the beginning, both the religious and the political authorities of the area opposed this new movement called the Way. And the leaders were persecuted, they were imprisoned, and it got to the point where the violence was incited that Stephen himself was stoned to death. And there was a man, chief among the persecutors, named Saul, who held everybody's coats as the stones were thrown, and he approved of Stephen's murder. But he wasn't content with that. He asked for authority to go to towns around Jerusalem to continue the persecution of the church. And on the road to Emmaus, Saul, also known by his Latin name of Paul, encountered the risen Lord. And when he arose from the ground, he had been transformed by the experience and felt Christ's call to proclaim the good news to the non-Jewish world, to the Gentiles. And he and his co-worker Barnabas started in Antioch, wherever the very first time the followers of the way were called derisively as an insult, Christians, little Christ. And then Paul made journey after journey around the Mediterranean basin preaching the gospel and planting churches. Eventually, he was arrested in Jerusalem for his efforts. And after a series of different trials and trips, he finally ended up in Rome itself, where he hoped to share the good news with Caesar. 
And Acts 28 ends there. Tradition tells us that he was eventually executed, beheaded for the faith. All those churches that Paul had founded as he traveled on those journeys, they needed a lot of tending and caring. Oftentimes they had questions, they had conflicts, so Paul wrote a series of letters back to them trying to offer pastoral care long distance. In their current order, there was Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. There was 1st and 2nd, let me try that again, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Philemon. And then there were other letters written by other authors as well. And these letters sometimes really did have lofty theology, and other times they just had practical, down-to-earth advice. But the one thing that ran throughout Paul's epistles was this. Salvation comes by grace through faith. That God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and we accept that gift by faith, and we receive life, and abundant life, and everlasting life. The next letters are Hebrews and James. There couldn't be more of a contrast in the New Testament. Hebrews is this dense theological treatise that you have to read verse by verse. James is practical advice, how to live out the Christian faith in daily living. And the reality is Hebrews and James probably started out as sermons rather than epistles. Preachers are tricky that way. First and second Peter has traditionally been ascribed to Simon Peter. And he warns about inward conflict as well as outward persecution. First, second, third, John, I can sum it up in one word, and it is this, love. Love. God's loved you. Love others. We love because we've first been loved. Then there's Jude, who warns about false teachers, and then that final book of the Bible, Revelation. Read the first three chapters, you can get it pretty clearly. It's seven letters to the seven churches. But when John starts about this vision of the final days... He contains lofty theology as well as strange symbols and mystic sort of language. And it's very difficult to interpret and understand. But I will say to you what I've said before. You can sum it all up in two words, and they are these. God wins. God wins. The last chapter has been written. The final conclusion is not in doubt. We may face struggles. We may go through trials and temptations, but we serve the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing takes place outside the context of God's love, mercy, and grace. God wins. And the letter concludes with the Greek word maranatha, which means come, Lord come. Genesis begins with God speaking creation into being. The New Testament begins with God's word being spoken and becoming flesh. Genesis begins with a garden. Revelation ends with a garden. And it is the saving story of God's actions in the world and in our lives. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. And when God's story of salvation and our stories combine, it combines the power of God to save. To save you and to save me now 
and forever. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you speak your word to us over and again. And when we open the pages of scripture, we encounter you there within. Speak to us today. Speak to us throughout this year as we begin an exciting journey together. May your word be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word of God, we make our prayer. Amen.